Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. We're in the middle of a series through the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bible, uh, you can use your phone, uh, your uh, tablet, print version. If you got one of those, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to pick up in verse 19. So Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 19. Uh, in 1987, uh, U2 released what is one of the greatest albums of all time called The Joshua Tree. Uh, I believe it's got four, uh, it's the most unbelievable start to an album ever. Four classic songs right out of the gate. The second of which is I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And in that song, Bono writes about what is, I think, a part of just the human condition. Uh, that we are searching for something, that we're looking for purpose and meaning. And in the song, he talks about success. And even though he's had success, there's still something that he's looking for. In romance, there's still something that he's looking for. Even religion, and he says, there's still something that I am searching after or chasing after. There is in all of us a restlessness just inside of the human soul. We are naturally seekers. We're naturally looking. We're naturally trying to find meaning and purpose in our lives. And in the text today, Jesus is going to show us some things that define our seeking. That we often chase after relationships or money or sex or even spiritual experiences. But they all come from the same place of seeking, seeking something or someone in particular. And the seeking in us often produces fear. What if I don't have enough money? What if I have too much money? What if I marry the wrong person? What if I marry the right person, but I'm the one that messes it up? What if I get the wrong degree? What if I get the right degree, but I get the right degree at the wrong time? What if I make the wrong choice about my job? And on and on and on produces a level of anxiety in all of us. So when it comes to this idea of seeking or searching, where is Jesus going to point us? Let's find out. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He starts with ways or things that we chase after. The first one is just simply our affections. If you're taking notes, that's number one, our affections. Check it out, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus creates a contrast. He starts with, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, Jesus is not here rejecting having stuff. He's just pointing out that our stuff is temporary. Even the things that we need, like food, food does not last forever. That's why at the Nichols family, every couple of weeks, we have to clean out the fridge, right? Food does not last forever, although it is necessary. Another way we could understand this phrase maybe is Jesus is saying, don't hoard. You guys ever watch one of those hoarder shows? It's kind of hard to watch, right? And Jesus is saying, just like a hoarder will accumulate stuff in their living room and garage and spare bedroom, that you and I have a tendency to accumulate and hold on to our stuff, even though we know it doesn't last. 
So he says, instead of that, lay up for yourselves or stockpile for yourselves treasure in heaven. That there are things that we can do even with our temporary stuff that has eternal impact and consequences. So Jesus just simply says it would be much better to give your attention towards these eternal things. Very practical reason. One is earthly treasure doesn't last. We all have to come to grips with the fact that there's a temporary nature to very much of our lives. Our bank accounts, our retirement funds, our homes, our cars, our fashions and styles, even our own physical bodies simply do not last. But Jesus also gives a significant spiritual reason why we should turn our attention to things that have eternal consequence. It says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That our affections are shaped by the things that we hoard. That our desires, the very character of who we are, starts to be shaped by the things that we desire the most. So we could say it this way, what we choose to hoard shows us our affections. You want to know what you love? Look at what you can't live without. You don't want to know what you love? Look at what you hold on to tightly. And if we would examine what we hoard, we would find the very idols of our hearts. We talked about this last week. Idols are good things that we turn into God things. So hoarding our money, what? Shows us that perhaps security is our God. Or significance is our God. Or status is our actual God. So Jesus is starting with this idea of seeking and chasing, was saying, hey, you need to look at your affections. You need to look at what you hold on to, what you treasure, and what you desire. Secondly, he talks about our attention. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is a little confusing at first, right? You want to ask the question, does, re- does Jesus really think that the eye is a lamp? Like, is that what's going on here? Does Je- did Jesus not take ninth grade biology? Does he not understand the way this works? Really what Jesus is driving out here is that our perception, how we see things, shapes what we do. That the way that we see the world around us determines how we respond to others and how we conduct ourselves. So in this way, the, what we see really does determine what we do. What we give our attention to, our focus to, where our eyes look, determine the direction that we are headed. We can say it this way, what we give our attention to determines our direction. When Mike first come, came on staff, our executive pastor, Mike Childs, came on staff, first as a resident... Uh, 2020, uh, we had to go pick up a sign, actually the sign that's on Dallas Highway currently, south of Atlanta. And I was just getting to know Mike and trying to learn stories about him and get to know him a little bit more. So on the drive, uh, I'm asking him questions, and guess what I'm doing? Because I'm interested, right? I'm driving on 75, going 78 miles an hour, conservatively. But I'm interested in what Mike's saying, so guess where I'm looking? At Mike, right? Which means I'm constantly drifting into the next lane because that's where I'm looking. And then all the way down 75. Mike, if you ask him to this day, he'll say that was the most terrifying ride of his life. 
and he served overseas in the army, right? Why? Because where our eyes look is where we head. And Jesus is saying, what you give your attention to shapes you. For light or for dark, for good or for evil, it determines the direction of your life. John Stott says, if we have a spiritual vision, if our spiritual perspective is correctly adjusted, then our life is filled with purpose and drive. But if our vision becomes clouded by the false gods of materialism, and we love our sense of values, then he says, the whole, uh, then our whole life is in darkness and we can't see where we are going. And so Jesus, talking about these things that we chase after when we want, says, pay attention not just to your affections, to your treasure, to your heart, also pay attention to where you're looking, what has captured your attention, where your focus lies. Thirdly, he talks about our allegiance. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus gives a very simple principle. You can't have two masters. You can't have two ultimates. Only one can be ultimate. Let me give you an example. You cannot be a University of Georgia fan devoted to the Bulldogs and love the Florida Gators. Those two things are incompatible with each other. And not just because Georgia fans don't love cut-off jean shorts and mullets, all right? That's not the only reason, although that's an important one. I can't be a Georgia fan and a Florida fan at the same time because every year, the last weekend of October at 3.30 in Jacksonville, Florida, I will always have a conflict. One always has to win out. Now, thankfully... Thankfully, the Georgia Bulldogs always win for me. That one's easy, right? And thankfully, yesterday, the Georgia Bulldogs won. I know some of you were trying to figure out how I was going to slide it in. That's how we did it. <laughs> What's going on is a question of allegiance. You can't have an ultimate allegiance or devotion to more than one thing. You can have other things that you like. You can have other preferences. You can have other pursuits, but you can only have, Jesus says, one master, one thing that's ultimate. Jesus is not saying here in the last verse that you can't serve God and have money. That's not what he says. He says you can't serve them both. You can only have one ultimate allegiance. And so when it comes to, he's really pressing in on our hearts here, the time to choose between God and money, who your real master is, will be apparent. Where your allegiance lies, where your devotion lies, will be apparent. What we're devoted to determines our decisions. Our affections are important. Our attention is important, so is our allegiance and devotion. And ultimately, at the end of the day, every single decision that you and I make about the course or the direction of our lives comes back to our ultimate allegiance. Whether that is money in the bank or fame, popularity, the praise of other people, our own need for self-gratification, it all comes back to what we are ultimately devoted to. So within those three things in mind, Jesus moves to the fourth thing. You notice this in verse 25? He says, therefore, I tell you, 
In other words, he's saying, because of the importance of your affections, and because of the importance of your attention, and because of the importance of your allegiance, now we're going to move into fear and anxiety. Now we're going to talk about what it produces. So if you're taking notes, that's number four, our anxieties. Check it out, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So he introduces this idea of thin anxiety or worry. And this anxiety or worry is about very simple everyday lives, things that we need. The examples he gives is clothing and food, shelter. Very basic needs to being a person in this world. But what he's pointing out is just like having the materialism that he's addressed in the previous verses, just like hoarding that he's addressed in the previous verses, so also not having can change what we seek and what we chase after. That just like we could be tripped up by what we try to accumulate and hold on to, we can be tripped up by what we're chasing after, what we don't have yet. And it can fill our lives with anxiety and worry and fear. Constantly think about what we're missing or missing out on. And so he gives us two examples. Verse 26 and 28, he gives us examples from creation. He says, look at the birds and look at the flowers. That God takes care of both the birds and the flowers. And these birds and flowers are fairly insignificant compared to our worth. Who we are before God. He says it this way, really, God relates to the birds and flowers as a creator to his creation, providing for them in ways as a creator would his creation. But remember, God relates to you as a father to his children. And so if they are well provided for and have everything they need, so also you can be certain that you will be well provided for in whatever you need. And then secondly, he makes a practical argument. In verse 27, when he just says, is worry adding anything? Are you experiencing a longer life because of your worry or anxiety? Does it actually help? And what Jesus is driving us to here is not just think about our lives, but to think about God, the Father. He's saying, turn your attention somewhere else. Turn your affections somewhere else. Turn your allegiance somewhere else. Because what we see here is that we have a heavenly father who is trustworthy. He's good. How do you know he's good? Well, he takes care of all of his creation. 
And so we should know that he is good and intends to be good to us. But also this God is able. Where you and I, our worry can't change our circumstances or our life, God is able to intervene for us on our behalf. And so he's trustworthy. We can trust him even with our deepest worries and anxiety because he is good and he is able. So we can say who we trust determines how we experience peace. If our trust is in our own ability to create, earn, gather, and secure, then we are not going to be a people who experience very much peace. But if at the end of the day, we know that God is good and able, and we can trust him with our very lives, then we can be a people who live at peace, who are settled and calm. The point, I think, of all four of these is not what you have or don't have. The point is, who has you? Who has your affection? Who has your attention? Who has your allegiance? And who has your trust? Which is what Jesus points out in verse 33. He says, instead of seeking or chasing after treasures, instead of setting our eyes towards what we think is good, instead of chasing after a dollar, instead of being consumed with anxiety, worry, and fear, he gives us another way. 33, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Notice Jesus doesn't give you a magic formula or a silver bullet. He says plainly, tomorrow's got trouble. He doesn't say there's a secret. If you just seek the Lord, you won't have any trouble. He says, instead, there's a different way to live in this life by chasing after or seeking or following the person you were designed to seek after, chase, and follow. Seek the Lord. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The word seek can be translated to give your entire attention to. Jesus' answer for the competition for our affections, our perspective, our allegiance, and our anxieties is to focus on something else or someone else. To seek the Lord. I love in the message it translates this phrase, to steep your life. Uh, now, I'm terrible in the kitchen. I don't know if you know this or not. You probably do. Uh, I could do some like premixed brownies, uh, Eggo waffles. I'm good at so for this illustration, I needed some help. I just wanted you to know I can't even uh, steep tea on my own. But Miss Kathy steeped some tea for me this morning. Uh, this is how it started, right? So mason jar, clear water. You see this? Nothing in this. Nothing going on here, right? But after she steeped it for a while, this is how it ended up, right? You're like, uh, no joke. Uh, we have had tea before in the building, right? We're not, we're not dumb. But the idea that Jesus is chasing after here is that our lives should be radically changed because we are seeking or steeping our lives in God and who he is. And that it should have a difference in the way that we operate in our world. 
should be an actual visible change. That that seeking the Lord should influence the very flavor and color of our lives. Not that we will be trouble free. I want to be very clear. The Bible does not promise you that you will be free from suffering or hardship. It doesn't promise you. God never promises you that you will escape trouble completely. Instead, what Jesus is saying, if we seek after the right thing, we find meaning and purpose regardless of what the day brings. And it gives us two things, two particulars, that we should seek God's kingdom or God's reign and rule, that we should remember that this is God's world, that he reigns over all of it, the birds and the lilies, and he reigns over every single one of us. And part of seeking or steeping our lives in God's kingdom is recognizing daily, remembering daily that God should rule over us, that Jesus is Lord over every aspect of our lives. Could you imagine the difference in your perspective, in your affections, in your allegiances, if you and I simply reminded ourselves on a daily basis that Jesus is Lord? that today we operate under God's rule and that he is faithful and good and able. So Jesus says, steep your life, seek that, look for that. And then secondly, he says that we should seek after his righteousness. Now we've already talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. The way Matthew uses the word righteousness is that we would conform to a pattern of behavior. God has a blueprint or a design for what it looks like to be human, and we are righteous when we operate inside of God's blueprint or design what it means to be human. And could you imagine the difference that it would make in your life and my life if we had a daily reminder to seek His righteousness? If we started out the day with a simple prayer, God, I know there will be competition for my affections today for my treasure and my heart. But today's the day that I seek your righteousness. Could you help me to conform first and foremost to who you are, not my affections? Could you imagine every day if we started with our perspective, our sight, our focus? Today, Father, there's going to be all sorts of competition for my attention and my focus But actively in this moment, I'm seeking after you, so I want to focus my attention toward you. Could you imagine the power in your everyday life if tomorrow morning you woke up and prayed, Father, today, there'll be all sorts of competition for my allegiance. To chase a dollar or to chase a grade or whatever. Could my allegiance belong to you, Jesus? You are Lord. Could you imagine the power in our everyday lives? If we just acknowledge, today, Father, my life will be full of anxiety, worry, and fear. But would you remind me right now in this moment that you reign and rule over all of it, that you are good, faithful, and able. And so today I'm facing my challenges knowing that you are with me. That's some life-changing stuff. Now, I want to make a clarifying point uh, because 
Anxiety especially is something that we talk about often currently in our culture. And before we move on, I want to remind you of a couple things that the Bible teaches. Um, the Bible teaches this concept of total depravity, which we often only turn inward, but these implications are also outward. And so when the Bible talks about sin or the depravity or the pervasiveness of sin in our world, it doesn't just mean that there's sin at the depths of our heart. That's absolutely true. It also means that we are subject to the sin or the pervasiveness of sin in other people around us, that we can be sinned against. And it also means that sin is so pervasive in our world that it has broken the way that our world is intended to function according to God's design. And so when we come to a topic like this, often for those of us in the room that might experience anxiety, we get blamed that the result is of anxiety is just the sinfulness in our heart or our lack of faith or trust in God. And for some of us, that is true. The daily anxieties that we experience are because we're chasing a dollar or seeking after our purpose and meaning from some other source besides Jesus. 100% true. But for many of us, the anxiety that we experience in our hearts and our lives is a result of someone else's sin or wrongdoing against us, patterns of behavior that we learned, right? Or the fact that we live in a broken world. And that we are chemically broken at our, the level of the way our mind functions. And so, I want to encourage you to think through this carefully. Because the answer for you might not be, I'm just going to seek the Lord. For some of us, that might be one part of the answer. But we also still need to address the things and burdens that we carry that are the effects of other people's choices and decisions in our lives. And we still need to address for some of us what might just be an issue of chemistry or biology. And for many of us that experience anxiety or worry, especially if this is a consistent pattern of our lives, Spiritually seeking the Lord is important, but it's not the entire solution. And if that's you, we would encourage you. I would encourage you, and we would love to provide you recommendations and resources for you to go see a professional Christian counselor who could help you unwind all of the reasons why you're experiencing this anxiety in your life. Does that make sense? Because it is often more complex because... Sin is pervasive and affects all sorts of things in our lives. Does that make sense? It's not always just our choices. Some choices have been made for us. Some are natural to us. And we need often more holistic help. Does that make sense to everybody today? All right, good. Now, I want to point out this last thing. This is not about simply what you love. In other words, Jesus is not saying to seek the kingdom first, that you shouldn't seek anything else, or you shouldn't love anything else. It's first. That word is important, meaning as a priority or as ultimate. So the idea isn't here that we don't have any other affections. Jesus is not trying to kill your love for college football, your love for Instagram, or your love for great music. 
it's that those affections don't come first for followers of Jesus. It's not that we don't give our attention to other things. Your family and your job deserves your attention. Your attention is required there. But it's that you and I give priority of our attention and our focus to the Lord. It is not that none of us should make money. It's that we don't put making money first. It's not that we don't have any other allegiances. I promise you yesterday, it would have been very clear that I have an allegiance to the University of Georgia. Up and down and yelling and clapping and screaming, right? High-fiving. It's that that allegiance doesn't come first or anywhere close to my allegiance, your allegiance to the Lord. It is not that you should ignore your kids' need for food and clothes. Please, please make sure your kids have shoes for school and there's money on their lunch account, right? It's that those things aren't the ultimate object of our affection or our trust. Instead, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is encouraging us to be a people who seek the Lord first. Seek his kingdom first. Seek his righteousness first. Now, this is incredibly important. Our seeking the Lord first is only possible because it's a response. Brandon, what's it a response to? It's a response to the fact that the Lord sought you first. That Jesus left heaven and came to earth to pursue you. That Jesus told the stories of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son to illustrate that he was coming to seek you, to, to initiate a relationship with you. This is what one of Jesus' disciples, John, says in one of his letters to a church. He says what? Oh, it's not that I love God first, but what? But God first loved me. And sent his son Jesus as a substitutionary atonement for me and my sin. And so when we talk about seeking the Lord, I do not want you to get it twisted. I do not want you to think that God's reaction to you comes from you seeking. It's the exact opposite. We seek because we were sought. We chase because he chased us down. We pursue because he pursued us. And so we come to a passage like Matthew 6, not just with an instruction or an admonition, but with a celebration. I can seek Jesus because Jesus first sought me. Because Jesus came from heaven to earth for me. Because Jesus lived a perfect life for me, chasing me down because Jesus died on the cross for me in my place, because Jesus rose from the dead for me, because Jesus is coming again for me to gather me. And because I have been sought in that way, then I'll respond with seeking. So believer, tomorrow, I would encourage you to start your day with reminding that you've been sought after and chased after. Praying that the Lord who seeks you, that sought after you, would help you to seek him in areas of your affection, your attention, your allegiance, and your anxieties. Then if you came today and you don't know Jesus, it's the best news I could tell you today. Hope for you is not found 
in some sort of religious or spiritual experience. Hope for you is not found in getting our life together and start to seek or chase after the Lord. Hope for you is found in this unbelievable truth today. Regardless of who you are, your background, where you've come from, Jesus came to seek you, to know you, to chase you down and to invite you into a relationship with God by trusting in him, believing that he died for you in your place, believing that he rose again, guaranteeing you a new life. Mike's going to give us some instructions at the end of the service, but today, if you have yet to trust Jesus, please don't miss the opportunity to ask some questions, to pursue knowing more about a God who's pursued you. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.